It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'll go through all of the events of the last week with the team, and there were many. Give my thoughts on what it all means, and then I'll answer Pacer questions from you fans. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. And there has been a lot of chatter around the team, inside the team, and on the periphery about this group, about where they go from here, about individuals' roles. And that's why I think on today's show, uh, I'll just get into it and handle it all by myself here. Don't really need a guest in a, a situation right now where there is so much to talk about, and I think there's a lot of perspective that I can share with you. Where to begin? That's the big question after the week that was. I'm recording this before the Pacers host the Mavericks Friday night, and they're 11-16. and 16. But the big news, you talk about different things popping up, and I actually sat down, by the way, a couple different times in my office to record a podcast this week, but each time something new popped up. And on Thursday, it was that there was a positive test within the Pacers. And so they canceled Thursday's practice, did a more thorough test, and that's where it was revealed that Rick Carlisle, the head coach of the Pacers, did indeed test positive for COVID. So that's where I guess we'll start here. He clearly was under the weather and didn't sound great Wednesday after their win over the Knicks. So he took a rapid test, which turned up positive. But that sometimes happens. So then he got a PCR lab test. That's the most thorough, but it also takes more time. It's sent off to a lab. Well, that came back positive and confirmed that he had COVID. And so he remains away from the team and things will go on. They'll have to go on without him. So they have a game Friday, then a Monday against the Warriors after yet another strange weekend where they don't play, but it is a convenient timing now for the Pacers with all they're having to deal with and being without their head coach for the next uh, few games at minimum. A week from now, though, notably after Thursday's game against the Pistons, they'll have their largest break of the season. Four days they'll go between games, and so I would think at the latest... Rick would be able to rejoin the team after that. There's no set time that he has to be out, not four days, five, ten days, 14, anything like that. What it comes down to are negative tests, and the NBA's health and safety protocols, which he has now entered, obviously, requires for him to record consecutive negative tests at least 24 hours apart. And talking PCR tests, not just rapid tests. And until that happens, Lloyd Pierce will fill in on the interim. It was... The biggest hire for Rick Carlisle, the one that came last, too, by the way. He had already had Mike Weiner and Jenny Busick, along with Ronald Norad, agreed upon with deals, but needed that top assistant and agreed to terms with Lloyd Pierce to bring him on. He's a former head coach. Uh, he's a guy that relates with players. He's a defensive-minded coach as well. So he's also served essentially as the defensive coordinator and something much different than what you saw last year with Nate Bjorkren is even with Rick there and being the head guy, he empowered his assistants to coach in practice, 
and even during games. So there's often times Rick might be standing back or sitting, and it's Lloyd Pierce barking out instructions, or maybe during a timeout after Rick's done talking, it's Lloyd Pierce slides in, and he talks to the guys who are on the floor and tells them about their assignments and those sorts of things. So I think it'll be a pretty seamless transition, especially if they continue to play how they have the last couple games at least and extending back even further than that in the short term. And that's more of that free-flowing style that players prefer where they're calling less plays. That Knicks game in that first half, I can only remember one or two play calls. The rest was all about guys grabbing the rebound, running, getting themselves organized, and taking advantage of what the defense offered for them, whether it was a three-point shot or throwing it inside or penetrating through the defense and getting to the line, those sorts of things. And and that'll be a lot easier if they uh, continue that on. And Malcolm Brogdon will obviously be key as kind of that leader, the point guard on the floor. Now, Tuesday's practice is where things started to get interesting. That's where just me and a couple other reporters that were there and I saw all these things go down and my instincts kicked in immediately write it down record times record what I'm seeing I may not use it well guess what it turned out I did use it and was able to share with all of my readers at Fieldhouse Files exactly what went down so if you haven't read that I highly suggest it it is by the way unlocked so even those that are not paid subscribers I thought this was a significant season-turning potential story and and strange, bizarre series of events at practice that I thought and felt everybody and fans deserved to be able to go inside practice and see what went down. So check that out at fieldhousefiles.com. And if, by the way, if you haven't joined, you should change that. Do it right now. Listeners, by the way, can get 25% off for the next 12 months, fieldhousefiles.substack.com slash FF podcast. But in that story on that timeline of events, it all begins with Rick on the opposite end of the floor sitting down and going over some film with Malcolm Brogdon. That ended. A few minutes went by. Malcolm began talking with Jared Weiss, who wrote that story with Miles on The Athletic. And he's probably five minutes into an interview with Malcolm Brogdon when Carlisle gets word and um, walks by and says, Hey, Malcolm, come with me. I got to interrupt you. And along with Karis LeVert and Miles Turner, and Sabonis is already back there with Kevin Pritchard, who had come by minutes earlier dressed in workout clothes. And they sat back in the offices there for what I recorded as 18 minutes and had a discussion about the direction of the team, how players are used, and also how players might be in trade talks as they open up more lines of communication. It's not like the Pacers haven't been talking or calling around teams, trying to get the trade value of some of their guys and see maybe what it would take to obtain a a different player, right? So this is kind of just having that open dialogue and, and opening that conversation about that, hearing from everybody's perspective. They come out of that. Jared continues interviews with Malcolm, Miles, Domas, with Rick, later with Kevin. And later, or let's say about 45 minutes later, Rick Carlisle comes out, and I was the only one that talked with him. And you can read those comments, by the way, at Fieldhouse Files. I asked him how that conversation went, what was covered, and also how he felt potentially about a rebuild and be part of that. And that raises that next question. After that original story came out, and that came out during practice, which is why they were compelled to talk with the guys. They mentioned Domas, they mentioned Miles, and Karis LeVert could be on the move, and I believe that was out there for a specific reason, and that was 
to get ahead of the story that was to come a couple days later, and that was about Miles and his feelings towards the organization. My biggest takeaway, though, over that first story, which came out Tuesday during practice, about maybe the franchise's intentions to open up trade dialogue was, this is new. This is different. That's not how this Pacers organization acts. They work in silence. The more you hear about the way in which the front office operates, the more likely I would say it's to happen, right? So many times you'll see national reporters and some that just throw out trade ideas, mention things, and the Pacers don't do anything, there were no substantive trade talks, or they do something in a completely different direction. That's usually how they operate, at least the previous longtime regimes of Donnie Walsh, of Larry Bird. Maybe this is awakening. Maybe this is a different way and a strategic way to operate, and it's different. That was my first reaction, I will tell you. And then on Thursday, that long feature with Miles Turner came out, and there was nothing new, nothing surprising, um, I thought, that came out. It was just Miles finally feeling comfortable enough to voice it and wanting to voice it. Here's what I can tell you about Miles. He's always had a lot of thoughts. He's always been very opinionated. He's also always felt kind of undervalued, underappreciated, and not maximized. Well, he's also undergone a lot of changes, growth changes over the last 18 months, beginning with COVID and the game taken away from all of us. And he purposely got away. He went to Colorado and turned off his phone. He went to Wyoming. He bought a house in Austin, Texas, and started thinking about his long-term future, those sorts of things. Well, as part of that, you got to realize he's entering a contract near next year, and he's thinking ahead to how he's utilized and how... He continues to, in his mind, be disrespected when it comes to the defensive end, not be an all-defensive player, certainly not be named even in the category of defensive player of the year, which grinds his gears uh, beyond belief with him. Um, It's something he believes, at minimum, he should be top two, top three, if not the guy. He truly believes he's defensive player of the year and an all-defensive team member. And uh, for some of that, it's, it's hard to argue, I think, I'd like to see the all-defensive team be just the top 10 defenders. I don't care that, oh, there's two guards and there's two forwards. Oh, is there a center? Yeah, there's two of them, one on the first team, one on the second team. I'm much more in favor of just putting the top 10 defenders on there. But I know some like to say, hey, I want to be a group that you could actually throw out there as a team. Nonetheless, that's a small piece of the bigger conversation. And right now, and really for a while year now, years Miles is felt underwhelmed. He's filmed like he's being limited, limited, and not being able to maximize his potential. And I think he finally uh, was convinced enough by what he's gone through and by some of those around him, and and considering what's a, what lies ahead with him, that all right, it's time. And so that's why he very purposely came out and opened up in that story. And it wasn't just that one, by the way. He strategically went on a couple of podcasts. Um, here recently. I even asked him, there was that one where he finally went off about Nate Bjorkren. I asked him the next day at practice, I go, Miles, look, I've been asking you about Nate in last year in that situation, and you've mostly tend to stay quiet. He did go off once in the preseason with me a little bit, basically goes, last year was miserable. Uh, That was awful. I hated it. I just went along with things because that's what a good teammate does, but it was miserable. We had no identity. Uh, are basically what he was getting at there under Nate Bjorkren. I don't think he hated Nate, but 
he did all that was asked of him and tried to just get through the year is how it was described to me. Uh, a lot of them didn't necessarily hate Nate, but Nate just did not have a good way of communicating with his guys. He did not relate with him. I don't know why I just got into that tangent. That's a whole different podcast in its own right. But in short, Miles essentially uh, wanted to speak out because like the rest of us, really, he's had enough of this pairing of having to be minimized with Domas. And it's nothing directly because of Domas, but more as a direct reflection of management, of the front office, of how not just how they continue to have both of them and be in the starting lineup, but they keep adding to it. They drafted Gogo Pataze. Then they drafted Isaiah Jackson. Not just drafted him, but traded up for that pick to draft Isaiah Jackson. And in turn, there's an incredible logjam at that position, and nobody is getting what they want there at that center spot. Goga has no role anymore. Uh, he's the fourth big and on the outside looking in. Isaiah Jackson doesn't have many minutes right now, and that could play a part in what the Pacers ultimately decide to do and, and move off a guy and would be an incentive there because they see Isaiah Jackson as a guy who is part of their future and want to see him grow and develop. Well, you don't do that from the bench, and for the most part, you don't do that playing with the G League team as well. So... You had that story come out on Thursday. And then one thing I do want to make clear, because I think some fans, at least those on Twitter, have misinterpreted, that was not a trade demand by any means. The word that comes to mind is clarity. Miles, like many of us, just want clarity on that situation. Because if Miles is being held to play a specific role, he doesn't feel like he's being maximized. Same thing really is said can be said about Domas and those other bigs. Um, It's pigeonholed them. Much like going back, what, five, six years with George Hill. He felt minimized. He basically, as he joked, and I love using this uh, analogy, is how he basically purchased real estate in the corner because he was told to and lived there uh, when he was a great shooter and could do much more than that. But that's all that coaching staff asked of him back then in large part led to his frustration and him wanting to go elsewhere because he too felt minimized in that situation one thing of note about this week and the different things that have gone on the tuesday practice the tuesday story thursday's practice (laughs) could even mention the comments wednesday following the game but those guys were basically asked do you want to be here do you want to stay here what player is really going to come out and say i hate this situation trade me that's just not smart so Sometimes you got to understand the situation and not listen to what they hear. But if it makes sense, listen to what they're telling you and why they're telling you and know the context of that situation. Miles does want to be here, but he wants it to be in a different situation. There's a number of things that have gone on where these guys don't feel valued. Um, One thing that immediately jumps to mind is, did you know that Turner's block has been moved to the balcony? You can barely hear them up there other than the drum line. So that fan section, I think they're going on year five with that. Not only did they move them up away from club level, but they're up there in the balcony where basically nobody is. And yeah, they're they're somewhat loud up there, but that kind of negates what they are trying to do and build energy in a, a lifeless building right now where attendance is realistically averaging below 10,000. But back to my original point, through all of this, the Pacers have been without two key voices 
this week, and that's Justin Holiday for one, as he remains in the health and safety protocols after he tested positive for COVID, not this Tuesday, but the last. And league sources told me this week that Justin plans on rejoining the team this weekend, will practice, and I'll be curious to see how he looks and feels because he's been isolated at home, isolated even away from his family. And how much cardio can you really do? Now, there is one blessing in disguise, and remember that is bad ankle that he suffered that injury in Cleveland in the preseason. Well, he continued to play on it. He still hasn't missed a game in his life due to injury. His consecutive games played streak ends because of COVID, but, I mean, that's out of his control here. So I feel bad for him there, but maybe this will be a small blessing in disguise. And talk about another injury of note, and that's TJ McConnell. He suffered an injury last week, had it evaluated by the team doctor, then flew out to New York and had it evaluated by a doctor set up by his agency, met with the doctor on Monday. They proceeded with surgery from her on Tuesday. So he, too, has been away from the team after that surgery on a ligament in his right shooting hand. And, of course, he's going to be out for at least the next several months. And that's in large part now why the Pacers have called around considering their options at that point guard role and knowing maybe that's something that they'll need to sign another guy to help handle more of the on-the-ball responsibilities. Now, when you talk about trades, first guy that I think could be out the door first is Karis LeVert. Fully expect him to kind of be the first one moved as he hasn't had a good season, started slowly because of that sore back, hasn't mixed in well with Rick Carlisle. And have you listened to Rick's last few post-game press conferences? Again, context means more than the words. But you'd think Karras has been playing at all NBA talent based on the last couple. As Rick has said, you know, Karras has had one of the best games of his season and he's in great form and was so good and so incredible for this team. And by the way, so much for that minutes restriction. I asked him about that uh, Karras a week ago, and he was like, yeah, I don't know about that either. It's more so a feel thing. But then he plays 30-plus minutes um, and all of that. By the way, I should mention another thing, and this has been the my biggest takeaway, arguably, over the last week, and that was within this story on Miles was Kevin Pritchard. How about Kevin finally talking? He hadn't talked since media day, so you got to go back until late September. He likes to stay out of conversation and remain in the background, but then he spoke with Jared for about 30 minutes, and oh my goodness, I can tell you this. Kevin Pritchard pissed off at least a few people with his comments, and primarily it's this one, quote, we've got to figure out how to manufacture that real star. Continuing on, he said, may already have it in the gym, but, in quote, basically saying nobody on this team's a star, and that's mostly true, but how would you feel if you're Demonis Sabonis, you've been a two-time All-Star, or your other guys on this team, and you think you could be, you are the leader of this team. Karras wants to be that leading scorer. Malcolm has been that leading scorer and trying to be that team captain. He did not win over anything, and I think this goes to maybe one of the crooks of the issues right now, and this is a lot of the feedback I'm hearing. Get a lot of phone calls this week uh, amongst all of this as people want to be clued in on what's happening, why it's happening, and that sort of thing. And here's the thing with all this. Guys don't feel valued. Guys don't feel like they're being treated first class. They feel like they're over here with Spirit Airlines having to log on and, and get their ticket and make sure they're not in seating arrangement C10. 
they're not flying first class right here now. And that's been a point of contention for some of the players within the franchise. I know when Rick showed up, he immediately changed the, the way they handled some things and went about their business in some ways. But that's one, been one point of contention. Now, one thing that's going in the Pacers' favor here, have you looked at the Eastern Conference standings and how tight they are? Rick talked about early in the season where in his lifetime in the NBA here, this is probably as competitive as it has been. Just looking at the Eastern Conference, it's kind of Milwaukee, then Brooklyn, and Brooklyn would be way better, I think, if, if Kyrie was actually playing. Um, the Bulls have been huge surprise. I certainly thought they would it be anywhere from six to could be even to like the 12 seed. Well, they've surprised us all and, and done well, despite now an outbreak with COVID, and they're not making any excuses about that. Washington has impressed and exceeded some expectations as well. Uh, then other teams have dropped down. Look at the Celtics, Knicks, Raptors. Those are the three teams directly ahead of the Pacers. But my point here is, when you look at where the Pacers are, and that's out of the playoff picture and really not even um, close to making noise, and their goal had been to get back in the playoffs and try to win a postseason series. They're far from that, even with some full health here, I think. And, and by the way, that's another thing to point out in all this, is the team has not gotten to see itself to its full potential. And that's one reason now I think after almost 30 games, Rick Carlisle, Kevin Pritchard are willing to maybe proceed in making some deals as they realize, hey, look, we've tried to see it, but we don't still don't know about T.J. Warren, who's out of a cast shooting and, and doing some practice. But when will he see him? Will he play again in the next couple of months this year? Now T.J. McConnell's out for a while. Other guys have missed some time. The point being here, I know there's a lot of different thoughts and tangents, but it's a seller's market, which should be favorable to the Pacers. You look at, again, the standings, two and a half games, that's it, separates the Knicks in 11th from the Heat in 4th. The Pacers, 13th seed, they're just three games out of the 8th spot where Atlanta sits. There's two games the NBA's come back and basically said, are bad, officials screwed it up. Well, that's two wins right there um, when you consider that, plus... You know, being one and eight in games decided by four points or less. You win half of those. You're in that playoff picture and feeling much better, plus all of those um, injuries. One thing you may have missed um, if you hadn't watched or didn't read my story, but I reported it exclusively on Fieldhouse Files last week, and this was what happened with Demonis Sabonis against the Heat a week ago. He was not in the starting lineup, and we're not used to that. He had started 248 consecutive games, but that ended against the Heat. And you maybe read the story. If you did not, here's why. Someone close to him tested positive before the game. And so he had a potential exposure. So they pulled him out of the layup lines. They raced him back there. He took a rapid test, had to wait for that to clear. And so, you know, give it 15, 20 minutes. It tested negative. Therefore, he was able to play and were checked into the game, you know, four minutes in. But that was a potentially scary situation, too, because he had been there Four hours, I saw him You know, at 5 o'clock going through his individual shooting, working with assistant coach, some ball boys, other players around. One player exposed like that shooting, no mask on, has to be um, concerning for you there. Let's go back to the main story, though, again of this week, and really that's players' usage and players being valued. And it all goes back to that storyline of a number of guys being unhappy with their roles. And the two guys also beyond that starting lineup that come to mind are Goga Bataze 
who certainly not even close to the rotation anymore, and Jeremy Lamb, who has now been getting some minutes but more spot minutes. He's in the contract year. He's been solid offensively. He's obviously a liability defensively. But there's two more guys, undefined roles, out of the rotation. Not sure also what they're doing to Torrey Craig. He was brought in on a two-year deal and was expecting big minutes with T.J. Warren missing time. He went from being a guy playing at least 20 minutes a game, one of the early guys off the bench, to four minutes per game. And how about O'Shea Brissett? I never understood why he was out of the rotation, and now he's playing so well that he absolutely deserves to be part of the conversation. And that's why, in large part, there needs to be more clarity on players' minutes, their roles, and if not, I can tell you some of them want to get moved. They want to go where they can get some minutes, be part of the conversation, be part of a team, and get uh, a lot of minutes out there. That's one reason why Justin Holiday is very happy. He's played in every sort of situation. Now he's dependent on. He's one of the key assets for this Pacers team, one of their better defenders. Kind of plays in that six-man role for the most part. That essentially concludes what I wanted to cover on this podcast, but I still have a lot of Pacer questions that you guys submitted to me on Twitter and on my email that I'll get to. But first, a reminder, if you want to attend Pacer games, you can. It's definitely in the budget. You can get in for 5 bucks, for 3 bucks. Very good seats for 20 and 30 bucks. And your first stop should be on only Indy tickets. They have tickets for the hard-to-get games when the box office is sold out, like the Warriors coming up, or you can check out only indie tickets for great deals on the weeknight games and come back for Colts, Butler, Fever tickets, and for everything else going on in Indy. Just punch in onlyindietickets.com and then enjoy the game. All right, lastly to In This Fieldhouse Files podcast, I want to answer your questions. I just copied, pasted those questions that I've received on Twitter and I'm going to run through them. Connor asks, will Turner be a Pacer lifer? No, he will not. Jaden, is Karis LeVert someone who the Pacers are looking to trade, and is he most possible one to be moved? Because Pritchard really praised him when he got here, and coming into the season, I was really high on him. I think all of that is true. Yes, he's probably the first to be moved. Pritchard did have high hopes for him, as did I. I've said that while the Pacers don't have that guy late in games, the playmaker, the dependable one, Karras seems the most likely candidate. He's the one that could emerge if he got consistent playing time and and didn't have all these health concerns, some that are out of his control. But he seemed the most likely candidate. Um, I don't think the Pacers have anybody on this roster to, say, build around. I don't think they have anyone on this roster that is untouchable. I think there are very few players that are untouchable, and in fact, maybe nobody is if the deal is sweet enough, right? You throw me 10 first-round picks in Kevin Durant, yeah, I'll give you LeBron, let's say. Of course, that's not going to happen, but you get the point here. Tim wants to know, do you feel either Turner or Sabonis will be traded, or could it be they both will be dealt away? I think everything's on the table right now. Um, There's no obvious choice because there's no obvious deal out there. There's no significant or far along dialogue with any teams Pacers have made some calls I'm told other teams have checked in and seen and evaluated the value that the Pacers want back for those guys and even others um, on the team because I think it's open season a little bit I wouldn't classify it as a fire sale by any means but for the right price I think anybody can be had on this roster 
Indie Pacers NBA says, from a journalistic perspective, what do you prefer? Weeks like this where there's a lot of news around the Pacers or weeks with less activity? I guess this week was tiring. Yeah, absolutely. But maybe you are more entertained. Yeah, I don't think entertained is the word. But I get what you're saying, and I appreciate the question. You absolutely prefer weeks like this because at least they're relevant. That's been the thing with the Pacers recently, and I'm not even just talking the last few months or the last year. Really, you could go back three, four, some years. Maybe all the way back to 2014. That's the last time this Pacers team was competitive. That's the last time they won a playoff series. It's been a while. And so, yes, while there's very active weeks like this week, and yes, it can be tiring, you absolutely prefer right now because it's more relevant. They are a big piece of the NBA discussion, both in terms of players available or a coach testing positive. And yeah, you never want that, obviously. Um, but it beats the heck out of a couple weeks ago when all anybody could talk about was attendance. Like, that's a boring conversation, especially the way that has been framed because people are missing so many different elements that come into it. And I'll probably get into that in a, a later story here because there's probably 10 items at minimum impacting attendance. But I much prefer that. I will say all this, though. I love basketball talk. And we're not talking about basketball, are we? We're talking about feelings. We're talking about roles. We're talking about health. And I mentioned Justin Holiday being in health and safety protocols or TJ McConnell having surgery. I feel like I haven't left the injury beat since Paul George in, what, 2015. So I'd much prefer we were talking about basketball and how they're playing and are they getting to the free throw line enough? And is Demonis Sabonis, how he's being fouled like crazy? And three-point shooting. Miles is good three-point shooting. I don't think we're talking enough about that or players as roles. But, yeah, you definitely prefer uh, this week over a boring week where there's nothing really going on within the team. Tyler wants to know which big is more likely to be traded after the Turner tell-all piece. Seems he wants to stay but still has more value than other center-needy teams than Sabonis would provide. And this is a toss-up, and this is quite honestly what the Pacers are trying to establish and figure out right now. I believe, from what I've heard, Sabonis has more trade value. Yes, Turner can is a little bit more interchangeable is the word that comes to mind because he can shoot outside. He plays more the style more teams are playing, whether that's five out or a big away from the basket, less post-ups, more threes, and he shot well. He can also defend the heck out of the rim, obviously, and some teams have that as a need. The team that jumps out, screams at me, is Charlotte, of course, but are there pieces on Charlotte that would be that interesting to them? JT, what is the fullest of players unhappy with their role here and why? I mean, if you listen earlier in the podcast, I think I rattled off about four or five names there, and there's no full list. I don't go around and say, hi, Jimmy, are you happy with your role here and why? No, uh, a lot of it's obvious, but take a guy that's uh, out of the rotation like Goga. He's in his third year. He needs minutes. He's not getting minutes. So it all goes back to the, the front. This is on the front office. It's less so on the coach trying to find minutes or find a role. And it goes, hey, look, if you're not going to play a guy, you move him. You try to get value elsewhere, and you do it before you show he has little value here. So I'd say rough estimate. There's probably a half dozen players, but I also would like to preface it with this. The team's 11-16. and 16. Losing record. Haven't been over 500 all season. They have had some brutal losing streaks, like 8 of 11 before they've won the last couple. So, of course, guys are unhappy. 
Mitch wonders if the team were to go down the rebuild mode. Any chance the team would bring back Lance? Oh boy! Not only it would not only would it keep at least some interest in the team for local fans, but it would also give Lance an opportunity to prove he still has it. In your opinion, versus what the team thinks? Well, in my opinion, and what the team thinks, they're not thinking about giving Lance or any player an opportunity to prove anything. That's not what they're about. They're about putting a good product on the floor and winning games. So let's throw out that latter part of the question. If the team goes down the rebuild route, any chance the team would bring back Lance? Yes, there's always a chance. Likelihood, I'd say very low. The Pacers have had their chances. Lance has wanted to come back, and the last story I wrote on would have been March 10th, I want to say 2020, and that it was that the Pacers are nearing a deal with Lance. It's going to be a multi-year deal, two-year deal, but... Then COVID happened, and the NBA did not allow for players who had not been in the league in a year to be signed, especially those that had been overseas and those who had been in China and overseas like Lance. And so I think that ended the discussion of Lance being back here. And remember, his biggest advocate was Larry Bird. Guess who's not around anymore? Larry Bird. So I'd be all for it. That's my personal opinion. Of course I want them. It goes back to a question earlier about the team being relevant. Do I enjoy you know, all the action and that sort of stuff. With Lance, it's never dull. He's always saying something, doing something, um, you know, playing so well on the court or setting up a teammate or doing something um, that, yeah, I, I would be fascinated by it. It'd give him another ball handler um, and it'd be relatively cheap. I'm not sure Brad Wanamaker is better than Lance Stevenson, right? But he has more of those point guard instincts and, and focal points that – that makes sense, but the Pacers could add and may still add another point guard uh, considering their current situation and all that, but I wouldn't get your hopes up. I will say I am very surprised that another team, and I'm mostly thinking about Denver right now. I like Devon Reed, but to sign him over Lance was interesting. And by the way, Lance, is he's my age. He's like 31, and so if you're the Pacers and you're going down the rebuild route, you're not adding veterans like him or uh, let's take another fan favorite, Thad Young, who doesn't have a role anymore at the Spurs. There's not much value in adding those guys when you because it's only taking away on-court time from those you need to see. Chris Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, Goga, etc. Oh, that's telling. My next question from not D.B. Cooper. Goga's future period. Will he get more minutes if, when, Sabonis Turner are traded? What does Carlisle think of him? Will the Pacers do an Aaron Holiday 2.0 trade in the offseason, trading Goga and other assets for a draft prospect? Well, right now, if I'm Goga, quite honestly, I'm saying, hey, are you going to play me or trade me? Because what are we doing here? That, that'd at least be my stance if I was Goga and his representatives, because this guy just needs time. He needs 15 minutes a game to play through injuries. And he's told me several times, part of the challenge is when he does get out there, it might be for only three or five minutes per game. And being a big man and being used seldomly, he needs just those three or five minutes just to find a rhythm, break a sweat, and get going. Then he's pulled. So that's been the the challenge for him. The other thing I would maybe suggest to Goga is say, all right, if you don't play me right now, let me get a couple games in with the G League just to build up his confidence, break a sweat, get in game shape. Because there's no way, by the way, he's in game shape just because he's not being used. But it does feel more and more like we are going down that route where the Pacers will need to move him because there's simply not a space for him right now and in, in consistent playing time. And that's what every young player needs. 
All right, Rhett wants to know, do you think the fact that Turner has continually been in trade talks for a couple seasons likely means the Pacers aren't getting the return they want and has a part in Sabonis being named in the athletic article as a piece they would consider moving in a retool? Well, the first thing is, I would not say he's continually been in trade talks. It was very far down the line with Boston, and for the life of me, I still don't understand why Danny Ainge didn't take that deal. Miles Turner, Doug McDermott, and a first-round pick. Instead, they got nothing. In fact, they had to send out a couple of second-round picks to get that trade exception, which really isn't very valuable in the grand scheme of things. As I wrote, whenever that happened a year plus ago, and still holds true, Danny Ainge did not want to play ball and totally botched up that whole situation. Other than that, I've heard there's been some talks with the Lakers previously. Charlotte's checked in several times, but really he hasn't been in consistent trade talks. His name has been mentioned by outside people, but I wouldn't say it's not like the Pacers are calling every single team at all times trying to say, hey, do you want him? Do you want him? Do you want him? It's nothing like that. And then your second part of your question was Sabonis being named in that piece. Does that mean they're considering moving him in a retool? I think they'd be considering trading anybody. Nobody's untouchable. For the right price, I would move anybody because this team's simply not good enough. If somebody comes in with another lottery, current lottery pick, like literally already been drafted, plus a future uh, unprotected pick and a rotation guy for Chris Duarte, guess what? I'm probably doing that. And same goes for the rest of the roster that is eligible here. Sabonis is not trying to get traded either. He's not trying to to push his way out. He's good with it here. He likes this team. He likes most of the people around it, playing for Rick Carlisle. He bought a house here over a year ago. He's now a married man. He has a lot of frequent visitors. So I don't think he's looking to just up and get out of here. Doesn't mean he wouldn't embrace it if, if the Pacers did elect to say, hey, we're moving on from you. Pacers do announce him last in the starting lineup, but you got to make him feel valued as well as their two-time All-Star. That's among the many things I think that the Pacers need to work on internally. Gary wants to know, do you think there's still a chance the Pacers wait and see what this roster looks like with T.J. Warren and wait until February to make moves? I think those are two different questions. I don't think you're just holding up any trade talks or anything like that because of T.J. Warren. Quite honestly, because nobody knows when he's going to return. Won't be this month. Maybe January. It'd have to be late January. But you just never know. What if he has another setback? Anyway, point being is you don't hold up anything because you want to hold out and see what this team has. For the most part, we know exactly what this team is, and they're not good enough. That's all it comes down to. Now, in terms of do you wait until February to make moves, that that could be very much in the cards. It all comes down to how desperate teams are right now, and the Pacers would want to maximize what they get back in exchange from a potential deal whether it's sending out Karras or Karras and Miles or Domas and then Karras. I don't know. However you want to do it. Um, The Pacers are in a position of strength relatively right now, and so they need to act like it. Okay, a couple more. Emmanuel wonders, is Chris Duarte on the market? A little bit of semantics, but to me that suggests more are you trying to get rid of him, and obviously that's not the case. Now, would they be willing to deal him again for the right price? They'd be dumb not to. But they are big believers in Chris and want to see him here. While he's especially on a a great deal, he's a two-way player, they really like what they have in Chris Duarte. Let's just say that. 
Okay, last one. Evan wonders, is Miles more or less giving the Pacers an ultimatum to choose between him or Domas? That's kind of what it boils down to or seam lights is what he says. Not at all. I don't believe that's the case. I think it's trying to say, hey, look, throw, he's throwing his hands up going, what are we doing? I've had enough. We've all had enough. Can we proceed forward with something here? It's not a trade demand. It's not saying him or me, but it's saying, hey, can we take a look at what's going on? Because it's not benefiting any of us, I think, is the best way to put it. All right, that wraps up this long episode of the Fieldhouse Files. Went about twice as long as I had hoped to go. I thought it'd be a brief episode to kind of summarize what is going on, but I wanted to be sure to answer Pacer fans' questions as well. So I hopefully had did that and provided some clarity on the situation this week. There's so much nuance that goes into what is being out there, a lot of context. And so hopefully, unlike this Pacers group right now, this provided you with a little bit of clarity. You can read my work at fieldhousefiles.com. Paid subscribers, jump on board with me. Even if you don't want to pay, become a subscriber and make sure you get all free articles delivered to your inbox. That's at least one per week, and that would include, for example, my blow-by-blow of Tuesday's practice, what I saw, and what Rick Carlisle had to say afterward. Pacers remain at home. They'll have to be without Rick Carlisle, though, for the next few games at minimum as he is sidelined with COVID. Thanks again for listening to the Fieldhouse Files podcast. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you again soon. Soon.